Hello, and welcome back to the Sustainable Brown Girl podcast. This show exists to connect Black, Brown, and Indigenous women who are interested in sustainability. Our goal is to inspire, encourage, and educate each other. From gardening, to thrifting, to minimalism, to veganism, and everywhere in between. We're all on a journey to taking care of our bodies and our planet. I'm your host, Ariel Green. If you've been in the sustainable movement for a while, you may have heard about people being able to fit months or years worth of trash into a single mason jar. For many of us, this may seem like an unrealistic aspiration or one only achievable by upper middle class white women who are usually seen heading the zero waste movement. However, historically, people of color have been living zero waste or low waste lifestyles out of economic necessity for ages. Today's featured sustainable brown girl is Anna Marie Shreves, one of the leading people of color in the zero waste movement. Since she began her zero waste journey in 2014 and fit eight months of trash in a single mason jar, Rhea has been featured on CNN, Essence Magazine, PBS, and the Atlanta Tribune, just to name a few. Rhee is also the founder of Fort Negrita, a former blog turned cooperative, an online zero waste store, and organizer of trash free projects in Atlanta. I'm so excited to talk to her today. So, thank you so much for joining us, Rhee. Yay, thank you. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you know, but you were like one of the, actually, you were the first ever featured sustainable brown girl when I first started the account in August of 2019. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, so that's I, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, you're just seeing everything that you're doing out in the world is so inspiring. So I'm so excited to talk to you today. So yeah, same. I'm <laughs> grateful. Yes. So let's just start from the beginning. How did you get started on your sustainability journey? Uh, this question comes up and I love to answer it. Um is that I, I um, used to live in front of a creek and as a little girl, and I would go down to the creek and hang out. And um, I would collect tadpoles and cups and bring them back up and try to keep them as pets and they would die. Um, but I remember what, and maybe I, I, I probably couldn't explain that feeling as a little girl, but I remember going down into that creek and feeling some level of uh, abundance and just fulfillment um, every time I stepped down there. Um, and it, it, it literally is like the, the, the spirit world, the natural world was like, come here, you know, every time. So um, that definitely kicked off my sustainable journey. I would say it's just that experience with the creek, which led to just my intimate relationship um, with nature. And, and um, from that became my personal endeavors and the ways that I treated the planet. Um, and then bigger than that, the ways in which I helped others to kind of identify and uh, return back to some level of sustainable habits. I think we all always um, believe that all of us at the root of us, you know, have 
sustainable practices and habits within us, uh, we've just been so far removed from them. So that childhood experience um, was one thing. And then just, I think maybe uh, in high school, I started encouraging my parents to recycle um, just because it was like, that's the thing to do. You know, it's on trend and such. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there in college, joining like the Green Coalition um, and and getting more involved. Um, I had a I had a friend who was an environmental science major, I think. I was a journalism major, so I, I wasn't on, tr on a professional track per se for the environmentalism field initially. You know, it, it was not like it was something from my Creek experiences as a child that like completely, you know, that was a, a cohesive journey into it but mm -hmm. uh, one of my er, environmental science friends she was just like no we shouldn't I think we had a plan to do something with some balloons and like release some balloons or something there she was like no we shouldn't do that that's horrible for the earth and I was like huh like you're going to something um and then after college I graduated got a job um was was feeling very un underwhelmed at the job um in spite of it being a really cool job you know i was working for tv network which is really fast paced and fun um you know if you're if you're into it but it, it's i still felt empty um went on a journey to ecuador where i was able to just kind of pause for a little bit and see something new and take some time for me um and when i started that process of, of leaving for ecuador i purged a lot but i didn't want to just put everything at the curb i wanted to get rid of it responsibly so I started looking for like how to recycle a mattress, how to recycle old CDs, how to recycle electronics. And I found that the information was very sparse. And so I started Fort Nicodita initially because I said, someone else is going to look for this information one day and mm -hmm. they're going to find it here. So I started it um, just as an information short source initially. Um, and then it kind of turned into a blog because when I went to Ecuador, I could just blog around like being on the beach and being reflective and um, the different types of sustainable habits I was seeing in South America. Um, and the blog just kind of exploded. You know, I, I, a friend of mine, she told me about uh, this woman uh, who ran the No Trash Project um, and the whole zero waste thing when I was in Ecuador. And that's when I first heard about zero waste. And I was like, huh, people, you know, think that I'm the zero waste or the earth eco-friendly friend or family member to them. Then I had to do this with best practices. So the best practices at that time, it was just like, I need to go into the zero waste thing. And so um, I started just thinking about the ways that I would do it. And then I did like a 30 day challenge. Um, and I knew after it was just no going back. I mean, you just literally, once you figure out that there's models to minimize waste, your mind just never turns off from that. So even if you do purchase something that is made from plastic or whatever your mind is still giving you that guilt trip because you can't take away the idea now that you know that this yeah. plastic thing is going to be here longer than you and probably you and your grandchildren and your grandchildren's grandchildren so yeah <laughs> it's an interesting process but that that's the long-winded uh journey of mine um into this whole sustainable world yeah. So I was looking at your YouTube channel and I saw you have videos dating back to 2014. Is that around the time that you started your zero waste 
challenge or movement. Yeah, like it was. So I did the 30 day challenge, I think in April of 2014. Um, and then that's when it kind of kicked off with me doing like blogs where I would just walk around and be like, I have my bag, I have my mason jar, I'm walking to the grocery store or, you know, now I'm on a, na- I'm at a nature center. So it was just all different things I would share. Um, through the blog um, in 2014, 2015. And um, from there became, you know, started to think about uh, reusable menstrual pads and selling them at at, um, times on and off. And and I I sell them now, or we sell them now on Fort McPizza, but um, all of that kind of just started initially from this, the lifestyle that I was living and sharing um, in 2014. Yeah. Uh, so I, since you were into zero waste, like several years ago, I would say it really kind of started making like movements in mainstream media within the past, I don't know, maybe three years or so. So you've been like an OG zero waste person. Um, and part of the reason why I started Sustainable Brown Girls was because I didn't see a lot of brown faces in, you know, like in this area. Um, And on your blog, you have a post about, it's titled, I'm not a zero waster and other misconceptions about zero waste, where you talk about being black in the zero waste space and what zero waste means to you. And I just want to read an excerpt because I found it so powerful. So you write, I felt that there wasn't space for both my blackness and my deep relationship with the earth online. And instead of choosing between the two, I opted out. And for a long time, I felt alienated from the space. I can now identify that zero waste is just a souped up title for habits black women, melanated peoples, indigenous communities, and poor folks have been doing since the dawn of time. So (laughs) now seeing how, you know, zero waste is so white, even though it's gained more exposure in the past few years, how do you, how do you feel like it's shifted? Yeah, I definitely see it's, it's, there's this level of um, mainstream buzz around it. You know, when I first started, I I could count on a hand how many of us were blogging about zero waste. um, And I was the only black one of of those. I would say it was four of us, you know, at the time, I was the only black one. um, And black woman or black person that was talking about zero waste. and, And, you know, it, it, the lifestyle was also different too, which things, which were things that I couldn't really even uh, formulate and fathom back then was that these are rich white women, you know, whether they're, you know, they're, they're privileged enough to be able to, um, some of their zero waste habits are just out of your scope. You know, I, I know one of the women had talked around, like, you know, she's like, I don't carry, you know, reusable stuff because I just, whatever, whenever I'm, somewhere and I want to get something I just buy you know and I'm like wow you know that must be nice because I can't just you know always go out to eat if I'm out you know I I have to pack a lunch because I need to preserve these coins you know whether it's um you know not just at the time I think there were there were times when I started the zero waste life and I was like getting into college and all that kind of stuff going to grad school and so it it really shifted the ways that I could operate. You know, when I first started, I was also working a job, but I also didn't consider like the, just the systemic privilege that they had that, you know, I didn't have, you know, to be able to 
maybe start a business or do whatever it is that they were doing in zero waste. I was trying to keep up with something that literally systemically gave me an, an unequal stance on it, you know? So it was just like trying to keep up with something that is just, you know, people say try to keep up with the Joneses. You know, I think I could probably try to, if I could describe it in that kind of way, maybe it was there. And it, it wasn't an ego thing that was pushing me there. It was, it was really an honest pursuit, you know, to say, I'm going to do the best practices of zero waste, you know? And yeah. it, but it looked very, it looked very white and not just from a race perspective, but just like even the colors, you know, this, there's this like slate gray and white um, imagery that comes up or, or like, you very know, curated. Very, uh, very curated spaces of just like, I think of like Nordic interior design, you know, it's very like minimal and just, you know, and I'm like, well, I have African patterns on my wall. Like, does that exclude me from the zero waste movement? You know, because you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a colorful person that comes from very colorful people. Um, and so I think that was really tough to have to deal with. And, and what happened was I was just like, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to share. I didn't want to share the parts of me that were colorful, that were beautiful, that were black. Um, and still, instead I opted out and I was just like, well, I just won't share it all because, you know, I don't want to be, and there was a lot of judgment too, of just like, well, you did, you did this, but you know, that's, that's plat it was just so much scrutiny um and I, I definitely think I got more scrutiny than everybody else because I was a black woman you know like people just feel like you could they could talk to me any kind of way on the internet and I'm just like listen I am I am trying something here that is, is bigger than me this is a divine journey you know you call it zero waste I call it culture so back off but I didn't really have the heart and the spirit and the energy to really be able to cope with that so in a lot of ways I kind of just shied away and stopped you know because I was just like oh these parts don't fit the zero waste hole so I can't I can't show up anymore um and then it, and it wasn't until I started to to see the trend of zero waste expand and then you started to see more uh, women of color in the movement um, who were bringing their culture with them as well and unapologetic about it that I could step back in. I, I want to, I always thank Zero Waste Habesha, but she um, was and then an awesome I, uh, person influenced to me to, to let me know like, and she didn't do this directly, but she just let by her existing um, fully, she let me know like, you can exist fully too in this movement. Like, what are you doing? And people need you to exist fully um, because I've in this case, I've inspired so many yes. people. Even even when I was shying away from it, I still, um, you know, have have been able to inspire people, and people have seen me over the years. So exactly, it is a journey. It's intense. I'm my heart rate is up. <laughs> yeah. Talking. Oh yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> yeah, there really is so much judgment in the space, and it's just like people are doing their best. Not everyone can be perfect, you know. And it's just mm. yeah, it's a a lot of privilege, but it seems like it's getting better. So you've hosted a few zero waste events and earth projects in Atlanta. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so I host, um, so through Fort Nicodita, um, I've hosted uh, reusable menstrual pad workshops, which we call pad parties. Um, it's an opportunity for um, people that bleed to be able to make reusable pads. Um, we do sell reusable pads on Um, but in an effort to make it more accessible, we were um, also uh, hosting pad parties. So we would host, a, uh, have about five, four to five machines 
going um, and for like a few hours, just invite people to come make their own pads. Um, they could bring their own material. Um, you know, maybe I think one woman made some out of an old pair of jeans before, but we also wow. provided fabric as well. So um, you could do either or. Um, and yeah, it was a t it was a, a definitely a bonding moment. Sometimes we would have things like watermelon or just fruit or refreshments um, to kind of keep it going and music. And it was intimate, you know, so people could talk about uh, their, their flow freely. It's like, you know, that's the first question I ask them, you know, when they are preparing to make their tag because they need to choose which size they want. And it's like, well, how's your flow? And, you know, some women are like, like looking around I'm like girl yeah. you're fine <laughs> everybody in here we're bleeders or we honor and you know um we honor and and give reverence to the women or the people that bleed you know mm -hmm. this is the creation of life Menstru menstruating is is life you know it's just life that didn't get a sperm and you know all that other um scientific parts of it but so yeah, the pad parties was one thing. And then um, also uh, we have an annual Earth Day event called Birthday Fest. And so uh, we didn't do one this year, obviously, um, but <laughs> we've done three so far. Um, we've held three so far and the plan is to keep it um, as an annual event for Fort Margarita, um, even thinking about how we could expand it. So um, right now it is in Atlanta. Um, we hold it in Atlanta and it's just an opportunity for people to come and just, uh, celebrate the earth. We call it Earth's birthday. That's why uh, it's called birthday fest. Um, but it's birthday, like the word birthday is spelled with earth in it. It's really cute. Um, but um, yeah, it's just a chance for people to, to hang out. We play music. We um, do some very hands-on activities that could just give people an idea of, of uh, just simple practices and fun practices that they can do that are sustainable. So we make like, uh, we've made like bath salts, um, in the past as well as like laundry detergents with just like baking soda and lavender and 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 oils essential oils we've also done screen printing where people can um either bring their own um item to screen print or they can find an item in the swap clothes swap to be able to exchange um and then we have a clothes swap which is like one of our biggest things um and it's really cool because now in atlanta a lot of my friends or just people within the network that have visited birthday fest um, I see them hosting swaps and I'm like, let me go to the swap. I'm like, find something I want. Um, but that's been the best thing about it is that, you know, everybody goes away, walks away from it. And they're like, look at what all these things I found at the swap, you know? Um, so the swap has really been a big thing uh, for birthday fest. And then we have DJs, vegan food to just promote um, um, veganism. Not that, you know, you have to, not in a, a, a very like strict you have to be a vegan kind of way but more so just kind of pointing out that uh, one of the largest contributors to climate change um, is the agricultural industry specifically the beef and chicken industry um, and the ways in which we have to uh, provide food for cows just so they can eat corn and soy so that you could go buy a slab of steak so you know um, and and same thing for just like feeding them to be able to allow for them to create um, dairy, all of those process, processes are very intense processes on the earth. So um, we do provide vegan food. And then we have uh, a microbrewer. I don't actually, I don't know if they would define themselves as microbrewers at this point, but they're, um, there's this group called um, Brothers That Brew here in Atlanta. And they would make, um, each one would make their own little uh, can 
keg of uh, beer and we would serve beer. So it was a really cool experience and it's, it's usually at an outdoor space. We had it at a farm the first year. The second year it was supposed to be a part of like a music festival. Um, so it was like outdoors in front of like a performing arts center. And then uh, the, the year before, what was that, 2018? Um, we had it um, in the former Black Cracker practice field here in Atlanta, which is also a big deal because it's a part of the Bush Mountain neighborhood, which was one of the first Black settlements since uh, post-slavery. So um, big, really important space with um, 25 miles of trails on it. So, or excuse me, 25 acres of trails. So beautiful space and we continue to, um, want to do it every year so those are some of the events that i've hosted on top of i'm sorry uh we i also started the zero waste in atlanta facebook group um a few years back and it started out we would have um events at um people's houses so sometimes we would have like a so uh patch up kind of day where you could just bring something that you needed to patch up or something um and you could bring your sewing machines we provided a couple um and we would just meet and talk and like work on our patch-up projects um and then i've also hosted um some zero waste like how to zero waste shop um at the natural food co-op here seven nanda so those are just in those were all kind of geared towards the zero waste atlanta facebook group so that people can kind of meet each other and get activated um and and that was early on when we maybe had about 200 uh, followers or members. And I think the group has grown to about 2,000 now. So wow. it's kind of just, yeah, budding on its own. Um, and it's really cool because people just ask some of the greatest questions on there. And I'm always like, yeah, can somebody get that answer? Because I need to know too. <laughs> so <laughs> it's good. Yeah. So in addition to what you've done in Atlanta, I know you also went, you took a trip to Haiti where you also hosted a pad party and you participated in some other activities to help a local community. What inspired that trip? Yes, so that trip, I have to give all, all of the, uh, the responsibility and inspiration of that trip to um, the general of Fort Magritte, um, what I call the general of Fort Magritte is my good friend, Dominique. Um, she is a Haitian woman, um, Haitian American woman, um, and she and her family um, have been traveling back to Haiti um, for a few years. And um, she and I are also blind sisters, and we had an opportunity to celebrate our 10 year, uh, 10 year anniversary. And we were like, oh, let's go to Haiti and let's, you know, make it more intentional. I think typically the trend is to uh, do the line trips, but they're um, you know, at a resort, and we went to a resort towards the end of the trip, but they're very more, they're more just leisure. Um, and we wanted to add a huge part of service to that. Um, the organization, our sorority is very service-based. So we were like, let's go that route. Um, and so it, it was interesting because the trip also created uh, tension between um, Lion Sisters because of the uh, sus like social, um, social conditioning that we, we perceive of Haiti, uh, mm -hmm. meaning like people think of it as a dangerous place, think of people think of it as a poor place. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think danger and poverty exist everywhere. Look at, yeah, I can find that in Atlanta around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that um, that was a thing, but yeah, that's what inspired it. She wanted to go back and she wanted to take her line sisters with her or just wanted to take people with her in general. Um, and her being the general of the fort, she's always, she's been here she was the person I traveled with to Ecuador when I 
you know, completely had to switch over into the more sustainable world. So she's been here every step of the way. Um, and, you know, she was like, when we go, you're hosting a pad party in, in Haiti. And I was like, what? Yeah. But it was just a beautiful idea. So we were able to, we were able to host them. Um, and it was the first time her, us going to Haiti also challenged me to figure out how to host a um, pad party without sewing machines and without electricity, which was a huge thing. Um, and it was just like, you know, I depend on the sewing machines. They make it quick and easy to make these pads. Um, but also if we, we truly want to get accessible, um, and gully with it, what does it look like to, um, not have those resources to not have a sewing machine and not have a, um, running electricity and still have to figure out how to take care of your cycle. Like, cause this is the experience of the, of the Haitian women and other women yeah. who don't have access to, you know, ongoing energy, um, electricity. Right. And so it was a really good way to also kind of get that plugged in. And so um, luckily I was able to host one here in the U.S. actually at Spelman um, beforehand where we made them by hand because it was such a large group. So it just gave me like a push to try to figure that out and to work it out. So we made them by hand and were able to give them to um, women in um, the village of Fayette where uh, my friend Dominique's uh, father is from. So it was a really sweet little full circle experience. And then we also uh, were on the beach one day and we were like, let's do a beach cleanup. And so the beach cleanup actually was just a, you know, impromptu thing um, that we did. And I, I can't remember if Megan decided did it before us or after us. I think she did it before. And I think that was part of what, you know, egged us on was just like, yeah, let's do a beach cleanup. You know, it, it, because thanks to Megan, you know, the beach cleanup is a concept that is, that people can think about now, you know, cause I don't, I'm not even sure that I was the one who came up with the idea of let's do it impromptu. Um, but yeah, I, I want to highlight that too. So when like Megan the Stallion doing, Megan the Stallion doing something like a beach cleanup and how that can impact other people to start to think about waste at the beach when, you know, beforehand they may have ignored it or just not paid attention to it. So that was a really fun project. We were able to fill up a 30 gallon bag of trash. Um, and most of it was really recyclables. Most of it was like water bottles, like plastic bottles and, you know, tin cans and, and stuff that could, could be recycled. Um, but, you know, waste infrastructure, trash infrastructure is, is a privilege too that um, some countries do not, many countries do not have. The majority world, um, some people may define as the developing world. I don't like to use that term. I call them majority because they are the majority. Um, they don't have access to uh, the sophisticated waste infrastructure that we have here in the United States. And so um, it's a privilege. Yeah, it really is. That's so true. Um, so kind of going on along the theme with the pad parties, in many ways on your blog, you talk about, or on Fort Negrita, you talk about the connection between females and the earth, and you advocate for normalizing the menstrual cycle by holding the pad parties. And you have a blog post about womanism as the original environmentalism, where you discuss how the term coined by Alice Walker describes black women, black and women of color, um, feminist theory, which goes deeper than race and class structures. So can you share more about the relationship between womanism and environmentalism? Yes. Um, so both when I 
think of those two words, they're very synonymous to me um, because it, it's, both of them are, are beautiful, right? They express beauty, they express patterns, they express um, some kind of reverence to the natural world um, in living beings. Um, they uh, are expressions of, um, of, uh, of systems, intelligence, uh, indigenous technology almost, where it's, you know, you think of a, a woman in a kitchen, you know, and her ability to just, you know, come and, and, and pick up those few things in the kitchen and just make this beautiful meal with it, you know? And it's, it, there wasn't a need to say, I have to go and run out and go to the grocery store and get all these things, you know? Um, when I think of womanism, I, I do think of a woman in a kitchen and, and that doesn't, you know, some people may say, oh, you know, that doesn't sound f like you're freeing up the woman, you know? Cause men always put us in the kitchen, but I can say from my personal experience that I enjoy what magic I'm able to create in, in the kitchen. And I think that womanism expresses the, the creativity that we have. Um, and then we can look outside and we see creativity um, outside. We can see the lines and patterns of trees. We can see um, the beauty and the colors inside of a mushroom, you know, like those are the different things that I think align with womanism and environmentalism. And then also just this, this nurturing care you know it's like come into the bosom i think we all sit in the bosom of earth earth and we also sit at the bosom of women you know like women are um just uh just abundant with uh with 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 energy and with offerings to people you know that so much that we're always also ext very extracted from, you know, whether it's our intelligence um, that's being extracted on, or if it's our um, capabilities to be able to, to get something done. You know, women are always like, you can't do it, get out of my way, I got it, you know? Um, and these things, they, it does mean that people get to extract from us in the same ways that um, the earth is extracted on. You know, we extract from the earth for these fossil fuels. We're digging up, we're blowing away mountaintops to be able to access those natural resources, or we're going down under the ground, um, under the water to um, pull that energy, or we're, we're creating pipelines that are disrupting um, sacred waters in order to do that. You know, so the extraction on both ends, both on the woman and on the earth, are the same. Um, where people know that we are abundant, you know, they come and sip at our, at our breasts, but, you know, they don't give value to it. You know, there's no exchange, no reciprocity for that process. And I think that's happening to both women and the environment. And then just our expressions of just creativity, beauty patterns, um, love, nurturing, the abundance and bliss that happens um, both in the presence of women and the environment are, are the same. And so... That's, that's, wow. that's how I see them as, as the same. <laughs> wow. Yeah. When you explain it like that, totally, like it's, it's obvious that life comes from women and the earth creates life. So that's beautiful. This is, this is a question that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. Um, what is one simple way that anyone can be more sustainable? I am definitely going to go with uh, awareness, um, awareness, you know, it, 
it really is a light switch once you are aware of things you can't turn off awareness like once you see something or know something you can't turn it off and I think having the awareness around what we are experiencing meaning you know I'm talking about our inundation with waste and trash right every day we come in contact with plastic and trash and all that kind of stuff and when we didn't even ask for it you know um looking at the ways and having a level of awareness of where your electricity comes from you know where does my food come from um all of those things turn on a light switch for you you know I I just watched a video about uh, bananas and the whole banana republic thing and I'm just like I I can't you know I feel the way about buying bananas now you know and and it, it's hard I'm not saying that I can necessarily stop buying them sorry but you know but it does in my mind it puts into a perspective of like well what what is the what are we doing about this you know what are we doing about the 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 you know forced labor the the diseases that are taking over this monocrop of of a sterile banana that we all depend on every day, you know? Um, so I, I think awareness just helps us to kind of turn that light on so that we can at least have some level of consciousness, consciousness around something. And then that consciousness will shift into our behaviors, you know? So maybe I'll buy less bananas or I'll go out of my way to go get the bananas that I know are um, from a different, are a different breed and, and they're better to eat, I hope. Um, you know, so it, it's things like that that will change our habits. It's, it's awareness first you know some of the things that people say to me is like once I saw you and your jar of trash you know I can't even look at my trash the same way and it's like that's good because that's your awareness you know that helps you to then shift your hab- habits so now that you have this awareness about your trash what are you going to do about it oh well now I started you know um bringing my bag to the, re- the grocery store you know that's a small habit but it's shifting um, the ways, because people are going to start seeing more people with reusable bags at the grocery store. You know, I can say over the last um, six years that I've been doing this, I've definitely seen more people at grocery stores with reusable bags. I've seen um, more people recycling, um, asking me how to recycle. I've seen people um, carrying uh, reusable water bottles. You know, when I was uh, in grad school, I just finished last year, last December, and there were so many people that had reusable water bottles and I was just like, see, the kids are all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so I, 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 the shifts and changes are happening. It definitely starts with awareness. So that would be my, my one tip. Absolutely. hundred percent agreed. Thank you so much, Reed. Thanks for joining us. And can you tell everyone where to find you online? Sure. So please visit www.fortnegrita.com. That's F-O-R-T-N-E-G-R-I-T-A.com. That is where the blog, former lifestyle blog, it still has a lot of all of the lifestyle blog content on there. Um, And the cooperative exists. The cooperative um, is a place where you can get reusable alternatives to everyday disposable wear. Um, But we also still talk around a lot of um, theories and principles that we hold dear to our heart at Fort Negrita, including womanism, um, cooperatives as an alternative or regenerative um, economy um, source um, over capitalism. Um, and we also um, talk a lot around um, nature and just uh, our love and we wax poetic about it. Um, and we like science. So you can find like cool things about like 
different birds that are helping us to be able to track climate change. We talk a lot about climate change too, because that is super important. So um, join us there, fortnegadita.com. And then also on Instagram at fortnegadita. Um, and I have a personal uh, Instagram, which is Ree from the Fort. That's R-E-E, um, T-H-E, no, excuse me, R-E-E-F-R-O-M-T-H-E-F-O-R-T. We'll put all that in the show notes so everyone can get to it easily. Awesome. So thank you so much, Rhea. It was amazing talking to you. You are doing so much inspirational work, and I hope that you continue and keep making big waves and bringing more people into the sustainability um, uh, field. Same. Thanks to you. You're doing the same work. So I appreciate you being um, right by my side. Thank you so much for listening to this Sustainable Brown Girl podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share it if you loved it and leave a review. You can find us on Instagram at Sustainable Brown Girl and check out our Facebook community. We would love to have you there. Until next time, let's continue to make healthy choices for the health of our planet and the health of our bodies. Thanks for listening.